Welcome to Chapter Tactics. This is your Warmer 40k podcast that focuses on playing Warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. And for today's episode, we're going to be talking about uh, one of my personal favorite levels of the game, and that is the team element. And of course, we can't have a team episode without the Chapter Tactics team. We hey. have a great team of course, of all the wonderful co-hosts. However, I brought on three gentlemen who definitely know their stuff about team tournaments. That is Mr. Val Heffelfinger. One of the originals. The Brandon Grant. Good to be here. And then finally, Scario from Scardcast. Hello, everyone. Making sure that you check your shoe for passports before going to your nearest team event. Perfect. That is some great, solid advice, by the way. Uh, it won't ever come up at all uh, in 40k, but you know, just in case. <laughs> also, I say, Scary, don't don't put passports in your shoes, Scary. That's true. That's you know what? That also that works. Also, I think we're recording on International Women's Day today, so mm-hmm. salutations to all the women in wargaming and all the women around the world. A happy International Women's Day! Yeah, to, the, to all the international women. Yeah, right on. So. Uh, today's episode, we're going to be talking about team tournaments and their their impact and what what they bring to the ITC, the circuit, essentially. Uh, this kind of came about from a conversation that people were having in the Frontline Gaming Community Facebook page, which, by the way, if you attend Frontline Gaming events, which I know a lot of you do, you absolutely should check that out. It's essentially the new ITC uh, hub where you can vote on things that affect uh, frontline gaming events and in turn actually have an adverse effect on ITC events around the globe. So Hopefully not I, adverse. Well, you're right. Um, well, they, they <laughs> definitely have an event, um, have an impact on events. So if you're someone that really likes, really cares about getting your voice heard from people in the ITC or um, head, like, like top frontline gaming people, that's definitely the page to go to, for sure. Our event organizer, Kicker, is in there nonstop answering questions. So it's it's growing group. I suspect it'll be the group to be in if you want to uh, attend competitive 40k events and have like a real shot at winning like Best in Faction or the uh, ITC champion, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So should definitely go there. But there was a vote in there where we talked about the number of people that we would have at the next Frontline Gaming Team Tournament happening here in Las Vegas. And it led me to believe that a lot of people don't really do team tournaments. Like there were people who flat out were like, why are we even doing a team tournament? Um, And then that led one thing led to another made me want to talk about what team tournaments bring to the table to the global competitive 40 K community. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we get into that, uh, our sponsor today's episode was sponsored to you by brought to you sponsored to you by and my computer decided to crap out at the worst time. <laughs> uh, the, the Gothic Ruins sale at FrontlineGaming.org. We're, essentially, we're selling our most popular set of terrain at Frontline Gaming, the Gothic Ruins. It's the really cool one with the giant cathedral centerpiece. Um, it, it I, I personally love it. It goes really well on the Ruined City Mat. And we're selling it as a bundle at 20% off. It's already really, really affordable. All you need to do is go to FrontlineGaming.org between March 10th and March 24th, and you can purchase Gothic Ruin sets at 20% off, which is a smoking deal. They're easy to afford, or they're easy to build, easy to paint, very affordable, and they look great on the tabletop. Check that out. And also, P- and Pop, there's a there's a second handy sale, is there not? 
there is the secondhand shop sale is still going on currently get 15% off everything in the store uh you all cleaned it out last week so i spent all weekend getting stuff prepared to give it a final push and put some extra stuff in there so i did save some goodies towards the end of the sale the sale ends on wednesday the 10th so the the gothic rune sale is basically set to start on the 10th the as soon as the secondhand shop sale ends so it's non-stop sales going on at frontline gaming you can check that out too uh the 10th it's going to end at 6 p.m pacific standard time so that's your last chance to get awesome secondhand shop stuff uh, we actually had one guy who bought uh, a full knight army that's like four knights and a bunch of armagers for five hundred dollars. He, he, he messaged in. He was like, "Thanks, man!" And the, all the knights were were uh, a couple of them were partially assembled, but none of them were painted. Uh, they were essentially just brand new chaos knights, and he just picked them all up. And it was was happy to oblige. So you definitely go there too. Nice. All right, let's get on to the main topic. Uh, before we talk about team tournaments i kind of wanted to get something out of the way and that's basically when i talk about the idea of team tournaments not being prominent in 40k i don't mean that team tournaments don't exist right and i know a lot of our european listeners might only go to team tournaments and that's totally okay i know their team tournaments are very popular especially in europe uh but in other you know all around the world they are generally less popular than singles events and so when I talk about the idea of uh, bringing team tournaments to the forefront and really showing what they can provide the overall global community, it's from the simple standpoint that there there aren't enough of them right now currently. Uh, and I would I think the four of us all agree uh, we would love to see more. Team tournaments are great. They have a lot that they can offer to the community, and more importantly, they provide another format that we can use to basically show who's who's the coolest and who's the best like what the itc champion does right so it's a format go ahead val i was just gonna say i don't i don't think it's that anyone has anything against the format it's just that it's incredibly resource intensive right so i mean if you have a a 50 person gt that's a good size single event and it's a 10 team five person team tournament right so it's like it's just it's just hard i think logistically to do and as events are starting to now get to a certain well once COVID's done I think we could stop prefacing that. I think we all know that. But anyway, um, you know, now that we've reached a certain scale, like there's starting to be more and more, you know, 100-person events and that kind of stuff, I, I hope organizers will start to think like, hey, maybe now's the time to put on a team event. Absolutely. And actually, last year, we, were, we really hit a huge growth. And just at 40K, competitive 40K in general, we had events being planned all over. Uh, the WTC just formed. We We were really set to have a really... And I say last year, I meant 2019. <laughs> um, uh, so that's what really what I meant. So the, the end of the 2019 season, right, the beginning of 2020, we were really set to have a tremendous amount of growth across the board globally mm-hmm. as a community. Uh, you know, so it this there was just one of the largest of the tournaments in Spain that had just happened, like I said, the WTC. And so this is kind of a, we're, but I think we're picking up where we left off as a community. Uh, and one of those things that people are looking into is definitely team tournaments. So if you're TO and you're looking for some general team tournament advice, this is a definitely good episode to wet your feet in that. There's also other episodes, uh, chapter tactics episodes and other episodes on the Frontline Gaming Network where we go into more detail about team tournaments. Um, but we're definitely going to talk about what it looks like to run a team tournament, what, what it kind of brings to the table for a community, uh, and also the benefits, the long-term benefits and, as well. All that said, Pablo, 
what you said earlier stuck with me, which is people questioning why are you running a team tournament as if team tournaments aren't fun or maybe they don't understand what makes a team tournament different or interesting. So maybe just starting with what is it at its core that a team tournament does that sets it apart from just a regular round robin style event? That's a really, really good segue. Now, I would love to bumble about what a team tournament is and isn't, how cool it is, but we have someone on here who has been to three ETC slash WTCs already. Uh, and Mr. Uh, I believe captain of Team Canada at one point. Uh, I'm co-captain, but co-captain. It's, and yeah, I've it's been to co-captain. I've been to two. I've been to two. Okay. Oh, I guess yeah. two, and then I I was counting the WTC from the last ATC? year. Before. Yeah, the, the ATC. I've been to the ATC, but I went with uh, the Wrong Way Kids, which is Tom Murphy's crew, mm-hmm. and then I uh, and then I went to two WTCs, and then okay. last year would have been my third. Yes. Uh, last year would have been my third. Oh, first WTC. So, yes. Scary. Why don't you tell everyone who's maybe unfamiliar with team tournaments what is a team tournament? What what do you, what do you do? What, what's what's the hype about it? And um, what, what do they bring to the table from a, a competitive 40k perspective? That's a loaded question, Pablo, because it is, it's, it's an in-depth answer. A team event is essentially an event where instead of a single person building a list to sort of like compete against other peers building their lists and seeing who has, you know, the best list or the best like time at the event, you, a team event is where you get together with, you know, uh, anywhere from say three to eight players normally eight is about the maximum that i've seen but if you've seen bigger team events please let me know where you build a list um and your list is part of that entire team so when you play around you don't play against one person it's eight people playing another eight people on eight different tables basically so you play one-on-one and you're essentially trying to get points between all of the games that you play to say win a round so Instead of just being like playing for like your personal glory, sometimes your job in a team is like to lose a game, but just not lose too badly to prevent like your uh, your other teammates from having to play a really terrible matchup. And what it does is it puts you as a 40k player in a unique position where you can get quite creative with lists and use lists that you don't normally see in singles events simply because some armies have terrible matchups and it helps mitigate that and therefore increases the variety of things that you might see and really you know the amount of prep work that goes in into knowing what your good matchups and your bad matchups are is huge and there's so many nuances that go from picking table to what like how you do the pairings and all that stuff which is like the whole process that happens before you even play games and that build up that practice, that list building, the, the the team strategy that you've sort of built together as a team, it all builds into the success of the team at a team event. So it's like an all-encompassing thing uh, with like a team of people instead of you just kind of trying to build the best list by yourself or whatever to go to an event. It's definitely the best way to go 0-5 at a tournament and still have fun. <laughs> right, and and win, potentially, you know what I mean? And like win. Mm-hmm. That, I, I would yeah. say like... Um, and to like follow up on a lot of what what Scary had to say, I think team tournaments add a uh, a meta game to uh, 40k tournaments that just make them really 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 satisfying and set you up for really cool moments. 
that you can have with your friends because for the most part in in the game that you're playing every point counts as opposed to in a singles match like sometimes you know you're at a point in a game where it's you know a foregone conclusion in a team game you know you 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 scrapping for those three points or those four points or whatever could result in your team winning the round right so it's it's like the games are not always competitive but they always feel like they could could have meaning you know there's always something to be scrapping for so i think uh i think that's what makes them really cool yeah i, I agree i agree with both of you uh i think i think team tournaments really add a lot to uh community specifically um yeah i know we started doing a local team tournament here in san diego and i went there with uh my team at the time relentless d and we had a great time and we had a lot of people come from all over the area and i got to see teams that I would rarely play singles event, but really, really, when you play a team, you're not just playing one person, like in a singles event, you're playing an entire team. So you kind of get a feel for, you know, the team as a as a whole, their personality, uh, and you really get to talk to them afterwards, right? So it's like having five opponents instead of just one, uh, and if you're all cool with each other, it can be really fun. So definitely a lot of community building there. It also, it opens up roles uh, that aren't, aren't necessarily tabletop related. So, um, you know, for, for the WTC and I think even at ATC these days, you can see non-player coaches, people who, uh, whose job is not to play, but to, um, you know, communicate within the rules between the matches, uh, to provide players what they need. Maybe it's water to observe or watch the table while someone runs to the bathroom. Um, it's just kind of neat like that. And actually, you know, when team England won the WT, well, the ETC at the time, I think they had, more than one. They may have had two or three people in their in their uh, traveling party. Um, you know, guys who just their job is to work the matchup uh, spreadsheet. And of course, that's that's the Olympics of 40k. You're not going to necessarily need to do that yeah. to go to your local team tournament. But nonetheless, it it does it opens up all these cool added elements to competitive 40k that you you don't get in a singles environment. Yeah, I think my favorite part about team tournaments is that. Especially in seventh and eighth editions, there tended to be over centralizing lists that were just clearing away the best. I remember um, the Storm Raven list for a while. Um, yeah, start of eighth, yeah. Yeah, that list was absolutely tabling people in two turns if it went first. Yeah. But in a team environment, you're only allowed to have one Storm Raven list. So, because you're limited by faction, unless. I, I still don't remember. Maybe you could have two if there were two Space Marine factions a, that could take it. There was a Grey Knight one, and there would have been the Adeptus Astartes one. I feel like there was three. And then there was Dark Angels. Well, it was Angels. a Dark Angels. No, Dark uh, yeah. Angels couldn't the, take the Nephilim, the, the Nephilim fighter one used to be one. That's but, right. It, you know, just so folks can kind of really... Oh, sorry. If, if you're going to a team and tournament in that environment, you know that people are going to bring that. Mm -hmm. But you're also limited in how many of that list you can bring. So if some other team says, okay, my first list I'm putting forward is a Storm Raven list, and your team planned ahead, you could have a list that the Storm Raven list could never possibly table and would get close to a draw. You could just design for that. And sure, you're not going to win that game, but you have designed your gameplay such that you're going to mitigate that super strong list from the enemy team and basically just tie it down. So you can think strategically in that sort of way. Or on the other side, you can be like, I'm going to bring a list with eight Carnifexes. Why? Because sure, it has hard counters, but I'm only going to throw it forward against lists that aren't prepared for it. And it'll do just fine in a team tournament environment. When in a normal tournament, 
maybe at best you'd go four and one because you'd encounter a hard counter and you wouldn't stand a chance. But team tournaments, you could do all sorts of janky things or themed things yeah. that you wouldn't see in a regular event. Yeah, good, good, Scarry. I know you wanted to complete a thought there. Yeah, no, it was just, uh, you know, with it's just so everybody understands, like, at a team event, because just to provide some context, a lot of the times, you know, each team can only bring one codex once. Now, back in the day, that meant that, for example, Space Marines did get one of each Space Marine codex, but since Space Marines got relegated to a single codex with lots of supplements, now instead of having, like, a bazillion Space Marine or armies when they're all really, really good, like, each team could pick one Space Marine, right? Uh, and I think that sort of thing change has also been a big deal moving into ninth edition for team events specifically. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And um, all these things are, are, I think, are really important to understand for someone who maybe isn't familiar with team tournaments. Essentially, just to boil it down real quick, uh, a team tournament there's a pairings phase that <clears throat> basically you go through, and team captains basically decide who you're playing or they give you a couple options of who you get to play and then you get to pick who you want to play and so you get to kind of pick your matchups that way you get to try to pick your matchups you get to try it right you don't always get you don't always get the matchup you want obviously um there's there's a little bit of like a pseudo draft kind of deal um where you know you lay out specific lists uh and then everyone kind of puts up their heavy hitters first or whatever it depends on how many players there are however there's essentially a strategic pairings that goes on and that enables you to create a unique meta in a team term. And that's why we talk about like the skew lists and uh, being able to run different wonky things and be able to counter specific factions. And that's, that's kind of where we're going with that. I love the idea of the community people playing roles, Val. And I want to go back to that because I feel like this is the first main tie-in to the main topic and that's the idea of what community or what team tournaments bring to the table when uh when i went when we went to uh when we had that team tournament in san diego we have a player on our team his name is jordan he's a really great smart guy he doesn't play a lot of 40k he was actually very very uncomfortable with playing 40k and playing in the team tournament specifically or at least it felt like he was less experienced, and so that was maybe something he didn't want to do. But he definitely wanted to come out with us. And so what we did was we were like, hey, Jordan, you can be our coach. And at the time, uh, Adam Abramowicz had just been blogging nonstop about Team America at the ETC. And this was 2019. And so I kind of just like told Jordan, like, hey, look, just copy what Adam did. You know, just like it was the summer, it was the September after that uh, event. So um, essentially what Jordan did was he put together a pairings system with using just spreadsheets and his big brain because he's a really smart guy. And he also just helped us out. He he fulfilled a role. But what I loved about that was we were able to include a person on our team who hadn't played 40K in a long time. And we were able to give them a role. And I absolutely think that we wouldn't have won a couple games without Jordan completely. Like he helped us out a ton and he was able to help us out as a club just by doing that. And so what what I love, what I want to see people start doing with more team tournaments is roaming coaches, people who who are, they don't play a lot, but they, they're definitely good at managing a team and helping people, they're, they're leaders, they help people keep on track. That'd be really cool. We also have people who could just work with pairings as well. You have really smart eggheads who who know like how to build like a pairing software, like what Nick Navadi ran at the ETC. Just 
it just gives extra more roles to people. It really fosters a team environment. Whereas where teams are right now, um, specifically in terms of the ITC teams, it's really just kind of like a heavy hitters club. You have like like 20, how many Michael Jordans can I fit in, uh, you know, in into my team? Yeah, and then just like, like throw me, them at a, team I mean, tur- a tournament. Go ahead, Val. Let, let's not confuse the ITC team rankings with, team tournaments they're That's two fair. entirely different things it's a whole other topic that that i mean i would r- really love to see the itc quote team rankings just be called like the club championship or something like that because it's it's really not a team it's it's a it's a conglomerate of of good players like they're not it's not a team yeah well um just real quick val i'll, I'll let you uh, you know i'll let you finish that thought there but real quick the reason why i brought that up was because part of the one of the things I had on the notes for this show specifically was the idea of turning the ITC teams and, and kind of like making that the next evolution was, you know, making a club rankings. And that's currently, that's what the ITC is now. The ITC team championship that turns into club rankings. And then we literally have like an ITC team championship where it has to be the same X players. And yeah, you get, you a ro- you get roster rules. There could yep. be all kinds of fun stuff. Exactly. Uh, I think there's a place for both um, for sure. Um, all I was going to riff on with what you just said uh, was uh, with with teams. Like anytime you like look at the evolution of like team sport, um, it's just kind of cool to see how things become more and more specialized as the competition ratchets up. And uh, you know, like back in the day, Babe Ruth used to also be a pitcher. You know, everyone knows who Babe Ruth is a big time home run hitter, but he also pitched. Uh, you know, you wouldn't see the best hitter in baseball these days also pitching. Uh, in those days, you know, uh, coaches and managers in the beginning of like big sports would also usually be often be players. So they would be or they'd be owners, you know, because it was starting small. But then as, as competition gets more serious, you get greater and greater and greater specialization. And so uh, I think that sort of speaks to to what you're talking about in a team environment. Maybe you get, you know, the best anvil uh, defensive style player, uh, you know, in the in the tournament ITC, the ITTC. You know, like, uh, and like that guy is just the best at just sponging you and taking away your your best player, and that's what that person's job is. Uh, you know, maybe you get the best offensive players or whatever, or you know, the best coach. Maybe captains and coaches actually become separated because they probably should be. Which yeah, they definitely should be. <laughs> it's 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 to me very. I think it's just very very cool because it just opens up so many other ways to engage with 40k. Yeah, and and actually to piggyback off that, Val, because I I know we're thinking on the same wavelength here. Um, it it also goes further than that, and that it encourages people to participate in all ITC events across the board. So let's say the quick and dirty example I had in my head was let's say you're going to the ATC and you really want to put together a hard hitting team. You need a Necron player. You're like, okay, well, crap. Like we think we think Necrons would would fit really well in with our team. We don't have any Necron players. Let's go to let's go to Atlanta local and find a Necron player who's local to the East Coast and can come to the ATC. So you go to the ITC rankings, you go to the regional rankings, you start looking at the top 5 Necron players in that region and then you start reaching out to them on Facebook. You can specialize in a faction. You can and and say yeah, like, "Hey, the, look, be the Necron I'm, ringer." Actually, that you, you, literally this example example happened to me the last at one of the team tournaments up here in Canada uh, it, when Necrons suck. <laughs> but but it happens, right? And, That's what's and, fun. Again, is you can have these off meta lists where in a tournament they make no sense, but in a team tournament they have a role. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so if if you're a guy who who swears you're trying to make like a hundred mandrakes work, and you're a dark Eldar player, team tournaments might be your jam. You might you know, you know you might um hit up someone and just say like, hey look, I've 
I know this is weird, but I've got a 100 Mandrake list and it absolutely crushes this medalist. Um, so like, give me a chance, put me in coach. So that's, that sounds there, pretty fun. There is a harsh side to this as well. Cause I think there's a bit of a turnoff and maybe, maybe Riven and, and Brandon have both touched on it, but there is the fact that because you're playing matchups, yes, there are a lot more archetypes that can be good, especially with the list diversity that you get in like ninth and eighth editions, but you also get these horrifying skew lists. So what do you guys think about that? Like when, when you see... You mean the, the like, 180 Plague Bearer list? 100, which was the response to Storm Raven Spam was to put as many or, or the 300 conscripts or whatever it was, right? So you get these lists that are just mutant evil lists, right? Um, do you think that's a necessary element of team tournaments? I think it's both. A, a, as a team, as a person who plays like team events, it's risky and like it's very risky, but it can give you high rewards because skewed lists tend to have terrible matchups. And if they end up in that matchup, they tend to do terrible. So yeah, that's why you don't onus, see them normal tournaments. Correct. Onus is on the organizational part of the team to make sure that those skewed lists don't end up playing the list that they don't want to play during the matchup and pairing process. Right. So so even though they're really good and they're scary, if they end up paired badly, they're more of a like a burden than they are, you know, a good thing for the team. No, um, what, what I'll add to that then is, yes, there's a high risk, high reward to the skew list, but it also feels like a video game achievement unlocked when you play the 180 Plague Bearer list and actually slog through it with your list, which wasn't necessarily designed for that, but you figured out a way to beat it. Because you're never going to face that with a competitive player on the other side of the table. Either You're only going to face it as a joke game off of a tournament or you're going to face it in a team tournament. You're never going to see it in a normal tournament. So that can be really exciting and different when you're like, I'm playing a list that summons a thousand points of demons. What? I've yeah. never I've never seen that list before or since. So you can have a lot of fun with that. Yeah, it's high risk, high reward, and you can get some bad feels if that's your attitude. But on the other side, you can say, oh, wow, I didn't even think anyone would bring this. Now, how am I going to deal with it? Now I will say yeah, as well I love that, that personally. I will say just to just to finish that thought off is especially now like with the like right now there's a Greek hammer like an online TTS tournament happening, which is like a sh thank you thank you Val we're 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 working hard, um and um and to be honest the best results that we've seen throughout this like team event at least in ninth edition is people who are bringing more balanced lists like you still have skewed but they're nowhere near as skewed as some of the stuff that we used to see That's yeah true. yeah with the, with the rule of 3 that GW implemented the lists at the that we saw at the ETC um now WTC are a lot less skewed than they were before and the other kind of interesting thing that um, I personally experienced was uh, when Reese and Frankly, Frankie did team tournaments often, back when Team Zero Comp really tried to push for team turns and tried to go as many team tournaments as they could, uh, their whole philosophy was that at a team tournament, you bring your tournament, your singles list, and then you just pair that way. Uh, and they actually did really well at some ATCs. They definitely had a winning record. They, I think, were 5-0 and starting um, at least at least one year before I think losing in the finals, but uh, th those kind of different philosophies will start to propagate the more people get into team tournaments, right? So you'll you'll have people with completely different philosophies. Like there'll be, t you know, like the, um, for the longest time, the European 
uh, players who played in the ETC and would come over to like the singles events here in the U.S. or like come to the LVO, like 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 the Alex Harrisons and like the Manny Chimas and stuff. Although not so much anymore. This is more of a seventh edition thing in particular. But they would come. They would come over and play in singles events and bring their kind of style of ETC list where they'd spam Windrider jet bikes and Wave Serpents, which was a very very common thing at the time. Uh, and those were like literally model for model the same style lists they would run it at the ETC. You'd also see like Windrider spam and things like that too. And it it just it brings different styles and different outlooks into competitive 40k to the table uh, and opens the door for for innovation, which which I, excites me a lot. Okay, so um, looks like uh, did we lose everyone? No, I'm just not sure what to add. Oh, I think that was a good that was a, a good final good. statement there. I thought we were going to roll on to the next segment here. Done innovation. All right, uh, let's talk about team tournaments and running them specifically. So yes. one thing that I know is is a big um, detractor for running a team tournament is the logistics of running the team tournament. It's not it's not as easy. I I I, I feel like. I feel like I don't have as much experience with this, but from the experience I do have uh, with, you know, going to the LVO and looking at team terms and just looking at the logistics of running a normal event is a team tournament does look logistically a little more difficult than a singles event. However, it's not by that much. It's like, it's like clearly a little more work, but it's not so much more work that it should be a deterrent to run a team tournament. So I want to be, I want to make that clear first off. Now, one of the one of the big I, like first thing that pops into mind one of the biggest things I think that should be a load off is that BCP fully supports team tournaments and has yes. for a couple of years now, whereas before the pairings and stuff could get a little bit you know tough to keep track of as a TO and all that stuff. Now it's fully automated, app driven. Um, there's no worries there, mate. Yeah, I agree with you 100. percent the The other thing too is the as more as more people start getting into team tournaments, there's going to be more uh, access to resources to run them, right? It's not just about the BCP app being able to run team tournaments, but also more TOs will have uh, specific table terrain sets just for team tournaments, right? So you can go up to a TO and say, hey, look, I need five pairings worth of tables for a 5v5 team format, which is actually something we're going to definitely talk about in standardizing formats specifically. But if you have more resources and more experience running team tournaments across the board globally, you're they're going to be easier to run. That's just a fact, right? And a lot of the questions that I see being asked online, specifically from TOs uh, who want to run a team tournament, are questions that you could answer pretty easily if you attended a team tournament or if you ran a team tournament, which it isn't a knock on them at all. They're just they're not experienced with it because they don't have they haven't run a team tournament before which is totally fair we've all been there before we've all been new beginners to a new format or or something new so um i'm that's something that you right off the bat uh the more team tournaments we run as a community the better and more smooth they're going to be in the future for everyone to run now as for the terrain and some of the other logistics and stuff, Skari, I think you're probably the best person to ask about this. What are some stuff, some unavoidable things that as a TO you will have to deal with that are different from a team tournament versus a singles event? Well, first thing you have to do is make sure you have um, enough space for more people. I have, I tend to, I tend to see that uh, at a team event, you know, if you have you know, 35 person teams, 
right? That's that's a that's a large event. You know what I mean? Like or six person teams even. Some of the biggest events in the world for forty K, I'm thinking like Talavera in Spain or whatever, where they have like what is it, like a hundred eight or fifty eight person teams or something like that. Like you do the math, that's you know, like four hundred people just in just in but it's only fifty teams. It's like a major but in in a team event. It's it's crazy, a number of teams. Talavera, uh, for the record, I love saying this, is the largest team event, period. And that yeah. was a Spanish one that we just didn't know existed for years and years. Right. Uh, you know, and so you need to have like a row of tables for each pairing. It, like for each round, each team, you need like a whole row of tables for for two teams. And, and there has to be a good split of terrain. A lot of the times at the you know, team style events, terrain is standardized and there is a, a varying degree of like density from some tables that are supposed to be very, very heavy that you can't fit vehicles through like the two buildings that are side by side to, you know, historically there's been some tables that are literally a hill in the middle and one crater in each deployment zone, right? Like there's, there, that you is know, my and, nightmare scenario. It, right, I think those are pretty extreme examples. Those are but. okay. Those are very extreme examples. They're not as bad as they were. Like at the so, WTC, they they tend to be heavier than not. However, the key here is picking your table and picking a table that suits your matchup. For example, is part of the process. So having skewed tables of like crazy terrain and light terrain tends to work a lot better with the matchup process as well. That being said, I mean. I don't think as a as a TO that you need to think, oh my god, I don't have standardized terrain, I can't run a, a team tournament. Like for example, the best, like my first experience with team tournaments were the Canhammer team tournaments in Southern Ontario, and yeah, they had sort of light, uh, medium, and and heavier tables, kind of, uh, but you know they were just pretty much just singles tables, and the advantage of the defender was being able to pick which one. And most singles events that don't have standardized terrain, different tables will fav favor different armies, so. You're always going to have that. I would just just want to caution. Like, if there's an aspiring TO out there who runs singles events, don't care, Zs. Just just go for the team event because people will find advantages in the in the tables that you have. Yeah, absolutely. What what about from uh, a managing player's perspective, Skari? Uh, I know that you obviously with team tournaments you sign up as a team, so usually you make. Um, in my experience, you make one payment as a team. Uh, is there any differences that? Um, from there, from that perspective, from like money or anything like that, or is it pretty much the same to manage? Well, I haven't really run a team event. I've been a part of like seeing people running team events. Um, however, it tends to it tends to be a little bit. You know, it depends. Are they catering food for the weekend? Are they not? Like, what's the prize pool look like? Like, what's the overhead of the location that they're playing? So it would really depend. Like, I've gone to team events where it's like a hundred dollars a person for a five-person team. So you're paying like five hundred bucks, like Canadian dollars for a weekend, but food's catered and like you know you've got like the a nice good space between everybody and there's crazy good prize support and things like that. And I've gone to another where it's like the same as going to like a GT, like per person, you know, or a little bit less, like 40, 50 bucks. And it still has food and, you know what I mean? But it's probably a little bit smaller, more crowded space, you know? So it, it, it varies wildly. However, it tends to be logistically, and especially with 
how big the price pool is. That's kind of usually what I find dictates the uh, the price of the event slash if food has been provided or not. We're spoiled by Can Hammer up here. They, yeah, they Can Hammer is just crazy. They provide, they <laughs> yeah. provide excellent It's like lunches. super delicious, like catered food and stuff. But we, you know, we pay a little extra to just make sure we can eat and you don't have to leave the location, right? So let's see. You know. Right, uh, Sebastian. <laughs> he, sorry, sorry. One of our players went to Wendy's and probably cost us the tournament once. Oh, uh, my oh man. <laughs> yeah. That is that is really funny. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, did they get their Wendy's though? Was it, was it worth it? What helps make team tournaments so appealing is the social side and the stories you get as a result of attending a team tournament, sometimes with people you know well, sometimes without. And that comradeship you get as a result of a weekend of gaming together all on the same team. Yeah, it, it definitely, there's definitely a lot of camaraderie there. So the thing I really love about team tournaments versus singles events, and, and this also happens at single events too. So it's not, it's not exclusive to team tournaments. However, the team Airbnb for the weekend where you mm. all kind of like sit together and maybe the Airbnb has a hot tub and you guys the ca- all, the cash money mansion. Yeah. Yeah. The cash money mansion or um whatever. Uh, that it does help. It does help foster more community and more team spirit than with a singles event. With a singles event, um, I've definitely been to singles events where there was definitely camaraderie and we all shared, you know, a, a, an Airbnb or, or a hotel block or whatever. Not an entire block, but a couple hotel rooms um, and still, you know, hung out afterwards and went to dinner. So that's still definitely something that happens. But with team tournaments, I feel like there's an extra layer of of um strategy and ability to to do well right so every team every member on a team in a team tournament that i've seen usually is usually really important right there's been very very few times when i've seen a 40k team that was successful where there was one person who just flat out got carried they went like oh and five and gave up as many points as they could um so generally from my experience, usually everyone has at least one or two rounds where they're like, they're the hero. They're the one who survived the turn one alpha strike with like one model left and managed to secure the win for their team, right? That's So because of that, when you go to an Airbnb and you have teams uh, and you strategize with them, it, it does add that extra element of... Um, of we're here to win. We're here to, to do well. And also you get to share an Airbnb or, you know, you get to split the Airbnb X amount of ways, um, which can help with costs and stuff too. And yeah, so then you're also hitting the nail on the head, Pablo, because it's not just a regular tournament where you're splitting an Airbnb to save on cost. You're all discussing and strategizing at the same time together. It adds that extra layer that's missing from a normal event. I will also say that uh, for all you uh, team tournament curious people out that there that you're like, well, I don't have four pals that want to go to a team tournament. Don't discount just being the random guy because my last team event, uh, my beloved, formerly beloved, currently beloved team, uh, Cash Money Hammer, uh, decided to form their team, uh, which was my team, uh, without me. And um, so I was left to, to form the CNX Tuesdays, which was a team of... Uh, just just really we were all just random guys who needed a team and we had a blast and um yeah so don't don't feel like you if you don't have like a tight crew who's gonna go hang out and and like be best pals and hold hands and skip and stuff you don't need that because by the end of the tournament you'll have that even if even if you did go with some guys maybe you didn't know very well at to yeah, start it, with and and i think one of the big goals i want to see us progress as a community moving forward with team events is you get like a guy like 
who like just Tom Brady's it, right? Like I could imagine Sean Naden showing up to a team of event like somewhere in like Florida or whatever, and then just putting together a group of ragtag guys and winning the whole thing. Sean Naden's just like, look, I won. I I I'm I'm a successful ETC player. I'm a successful 40k player. Um, I will take you to the promised land. And everyone's just like, okay, cool. Or like Nick Notavati, whoever, right? The, I use Sean Naden as example, but, but who's Rob Gronkowski in this analogy, my friend? It's it's <laughs> it's probably uh, Brad Chester. Hey, yeah, uh, Ten years Brad down Chester. the road, <laughs> when he's quit forty so k, really <laughs> beat up Rob Gronkowski, Brad Chester. And I, I obviously I kid. Uh, all those guys are great guys, but the the point is, is that you do get that, you know, and you don't get that with a singles event. You you kind of get it with with uh, getting people to come to your singles event to add more oomph to it, right? Like getting like a, a top player to come to your event so that other, like the best players go. Um, but with a team tournament, I, I really love the idea of someone like literally just starting their own team. Like when Nick Notavati joined Team England and the 2019 ETC and um, they played Team America, that was like peak high drama peak competitive like it was the cool one of the coolest things to happen to 40k yeah really in forever that. it was really i'll be talking about that like five years down the road i'll still be talking about that moment there's but um you get that with team tournaments and you only get that with team tournaments if everyone is on board with running them to get to the prescriptive portion of this i would also say if you're a to and you're starting a team tournament that maybe you haven't uh, there hasn't been one there before uh, consider doing as much as you can to play matchmaker to get, uh, you know, if there's a, if there's a bunch of people who maybe don't have a defined team or a defined crew that they could go with, you know, do your best to bring people together so Start that they can Start a list. Yeah, merc list. You know, whatever. Like, yeah, mercenary list. Basically, just every time you have five people in the merc list, you can kind of pull them together. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, and wouldn't that be cool if you showed up like the, the LVO? You know, years down the road, the LVO had a team caliber event uh, in concurrent with the singles event and then you had like a merc team make the finals and you're just like okay here's you know five etc rock stars versus some mercenary team of dudes who just showed up to vegas and hoped to play you know an extra event and then well, they're a, just wound up in the finals. Uh, existential concern at the uh, at the last etc that ran because i think they had two what they call it the un team yeah, <laughs> um, but it's essentially their ringer team to to make up uneven pairings, and uh, they had two of them, and they didn't know, and they actually had good players on them, and so I think there there was a bit of a controversy about whether they'd be allowed to win, right, right, Ruben? Yeah, there was. Um, you know, originally there should have just been one, but it's it's sometimes good to have issues like that that arise just in case. What if the UN team wins? You know, like the random Merc team, like at this uh, international team event. And then, of course, policies put in place and whatnot. I'm not exactly sure what it is at the moment, but it like people from even if you're a good player from your country or your region and you can't make it onto like the the your country's team, you know, if you're a like a expat nationalist of another country that doesn't have a team of WTC, like you can reach out to your organi- organization and try put a team of uh, of people together from like uh like your like second nationalities country that wants to go and put a team or put your name down to be on that UN team. You know, even at the highest level, they're always looking for people who are willing to pay a ticket, go have some fun, you know, uh, and and get experience. Yeah, I would definitely want to play on the UN team if I went to the... Because, look, I'm never going to get invited to the WTC American team. Let's let's be real here. Where the hell is Team Mexico? 
I don't I, understand I how there isn't a team Mexico. One hundred percent. We we need it doesn't a team make Mexico. any sense. There are so many Spanish people and Mexican Americans and probably actual Mexicans who play forty K. Where is Team Mexico? Absolutely. It has been in the works for the last three years, believe me. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Scar Scar has dual citizenship. So mañana, definitely... okay, mañana we'll deal with it. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> um but yeah, uh, it's it's um, it's exciting to see what we could do with team tournaments if if we progressed more and had more of them. So let's talk about something that uh, everyone kind of talks about, and that's the idea of uh, what a team tournament format looks like, or what a standard team tournament format looks like. And, and let's be honest, um, not every not every TO is going to be able to run a full on WTC style eight versus eight, you know extravaganza with hundreds of players the fact is is you're probably going to if you want to legitimize it and normalize team tournaments globally you're going to want to scale down so my question to the three of you is where does that begin what's the ideal amount of people and where do you scale down for tos who want to run smaller team events if i was running an event i think that five is a reasonable number if you're going to have 40 or more people show up um, you end up with a lot of interesting off-meta lists that show up at five. Whereas if you're only able to do three, that might make sense if you're going hyper-local, like RTT size, because you don't have enough people. But there's always that danger that you end up with half the field is one army, and that army is over-centralizing. But if you have five players per team, at best, that army is one-fifth of the field, so it's a lot less over-centralizing. I think uh, five is the the proper number to do it, not just for the non-centralizing part, but also because in the pairing process, mm -hmm. sitting down and doing pairings, it's a whole sort of pre-game. Now, with eight different lists on a team the pairing process is quite intricate you know because you put a uh, you put a defender down your opponent puts two attackers they put a defender you put two attackers you pick one and then it like cycles through when you only have four um uh four lists on a team it's starting to become predictable you it's literally almost like a random draw what did you put down first almost <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> because because you put down one, then you put down another, then you have two attackers going each one, so you only have one left in your hand, which means the one that you have left in your hand plays the other one left in their hand, and it basically goes to the last scrimmage part of the 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 uh, the pairings process. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's fine. It is a little bit complicated if you've never done it before. Um, however, then you the, you basically it's. You, it's a it's a luck of the draw of which two did you put down and which one did you keep on your hand to fight each other basically now at least with five you get you know you get one chance to sort of reshuffle what's in your hand and kind of adapt from there so the pairing process becomes a little bit more relevant yeah. than just like eeny meeny miny I keep this one in my hand and hope that <laughs> you didn't keep that one in your hand <laughs> yeah I, I think at at five that's the that's essentially the number where you start to get some cool intrigue in at the pairing level um uh whereas uh you know at 4 you don't get it so i think that's why i think 5 is sort of your minimal viable team size and in the way i like to think of it in my head like um is that you'd have you know if you have sort of i guess teams so so uh you know teams of friends and whatever that's that feels like a good five person team format and then if you get into a regional level whether that's you know worlds or in Australia they do state championships, 
I think that's a great situation to have an eight-person team because you're drawing from a bigger pool of players, and uh, and you're more likely to be able to do that. Like a, an extreme fantasy that I have is we'd have a, a North American regional where, you know, you have different states, different provinces coming together uh, to, uh, to to play 40k, repping their region rather than necessarily uh, you know just your group of friends or whatever. Um, so I think I think like yeah eight eight at like that sort of international or regional competition level five for 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 like a, a group of friends team type thing. Well, I also love the idea of um, having regional events, just because uh, you you it flushes out the WTC even more, right? So the the one uh, and I don't, I don't want to even call it a knock, um, but the one thing I always kind of thought was odd about the WTC, which makes sense, but it. I didn't like how limiting it was, was the idea of every country only being able to invite X amount of people or, or, you know, eight people per country. And then that was it. Uh, I love the idea of, of looking at expanding the WTC or maybe the WCTC making an entire new event that they run. Um, so they run two events a year or whatever, where they, it's more of an open, right. Or, uh, more of a, something you have to qualify for. Like every regionals event is a qualifiers. And then you go to the WTC, the big hoo of team tournaments. And then you play there. Yeah. Different, different countries do things differently. Like in yes. France, they have essentially the qualifier for the, the, uh, WTC in France, at least it was, I think it still is. Um, they have a, a team tournament and the winning team is the team that goes to the WTC. Happens to have been the same team for many years in a row, from what I understand. But nonetheless, that's how they that's how they do the selection. Um, if you have, again, the more players you get that are dedicated to this format, and the more intrigue there is around it, um, the more like, you know, the the more granular you can get with things like doing regional qualifiers and stuff like that. But you got to build the player base first, and I think that's kind of the exciting moment we're we're looking at looking out into twenty one twenty two. Yeah, not just building consistent teams, but building people who are aware that team tournaments are a thing and how they work and just kind of seems the point of this episode is, Hey, have you never done a team tournament before? Here's what it's about and why you should be interested because they are really fun. They're just totally different than a singles event and you can have a lot more fun by just in my mind is the strategy side before and during where you're picking pairings, you're picking armies you can really play an army that more suits your style than you would for a singles event simply because there's probably a strategic niche for that list in your team event. Absolutely. Yeah. Also, with with Frontline Gaming too entering um, the the world of team tournaments in September, which seems pretty viable. Seems like that's something that might actually happen in Las Vegas to run a team tournament. Um, I think um, I think too this is a good moment to think you know maybe we're at sort of critical mass. There, there's only a handful of team tournaments that are, are larger formatted. You've got the Canhammer team tournament up here. Uh, you've got the uh, Battle for Salvation in, uh, in, I think, New York State. You've got uh, ATC, obviously, the big one in, in North America. Overseas, there's, there's actually tons uh, in, in Europe and, and the UK. But in, in, in the North American's mindset, um, you know, we kind of have this point now where we kind of have four, four big-ish tournaments. And for me, this presents an opportunity to perhaps, and this might be scandalous to suggest, create a sanctioning body of some form. Uh, yeah, I mean, I absolutely, whether, whether, the, whether the ITC steps up and, and does something or someone creates something new or they... You okay? So yes, the uh, governing body, I think, would be a fantastic choice. Like, I'm not, like, I'm not like just a talking, good thing. 
Yeah. yeah, I'm not talking about like a shadow cabal of uh, you know backroom uh, led by Recio va- backroom vampires like the ITC is currently structured. I'm talking about like a like a not for profit that has like meetings with Robert's Rules of Order and like is actually codified in some regard has a has a, a proper disciplinary system like something that actually guides the format. Um, I'd just absolutely love to see. And maybe Frontline is maybe Frontline shows that leadership. Maybe maybe all the existing tournaments can get together and try and come to some sort of common consensus on what the format looks like and, and how they want to go forward. But I'd love to see a real organized push for team events uh, on this side of the world. Sorry, I was I, I coughed. I was literally salivating at the idea of a global <laughs> team tournament governing body uh, that I choked on uh, my own spit. And so, sorry about that. It might be too T- TMI, but... That is what happened. Anyways, thank you so much for completing my thought. Yeah, I don't I don't know necessarily what it would look like, but I agree with both of you. I think that's, that'd be something that'd be really cool, um, no matter who does it. So, uh, and a good start would be to get everyone on the same page and uh, start running more events. Also, I, 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 always, I know as a community, I know we're definitely capable of running more regional gt level team events like i see it everywhere we have all the terrain we have the tournament infrastructure to convert uh, an x percentage of our single events into team events like uh, the way i understand it it literally just looks like we need tos to just make the jump yeah no it just has to want and i think that's why having maybe and that's that's really the brilliance of what the itc was when it started is that you know singles events um, didn't exist at the scale and frequency as they do now, not, not by a long shot. A lot of that is because, although it's not like an official real structure, there, there it did offer, you know, a lighthouse, a guiding light to here's how you could structure a tournament. You can do it this way or you can do it your way if you like. Um, but it had a unified ranking system that, that was very inclusive and got people sort of interested in going to more than one tournament. So I think with team tournaments, maybe now there's a, there's an opportunity to take something like that idea but maybe give it more structure so that the the whole operation has a bit more cohesion going forward and i think that that's a i don't know that's just something that i've always kind of wished the itc was and i know why it isn't like that because it's it's very difficult everyone has very strong opinions about how to do this (laughs) but there's few enough there's there's few enough team tournaments that even exist right now in north america that that you know maybe you can get the you know four eight whatever it is tos together and uh, get to a consensus on, on what the best way to do it is. Yeah. Now, um, we're coming up near the end of the episode. I had a question for Val and Skari and Brandon. Um, <clears throat> now, uh, what what do you think it would take for... What, are, what is the amount of team tournaments it would require for team tournaments to be normalized just, just in North America, right? And so we obviously we have four big team tournaments uh, and then we have a smattering of small team tournaments. Um, but what do you think, what's the number? What's the critical mass that you think we need as a community before we absolutely have as many team tournaments as single events or you know becomes a big deal? I think you need one giant team event every year at least that's like eight players per team and then it'll trickle down and people will be like we need to prepare for this event and then you'll have tos making team events to help people practice for a big mega event so what you're saying is is if if every like big super region right so like or or maybe every country um 
like as if like the U.S. had a massive team event that was eight person. Uh, Canada had a massive team tournament that was eight person. Australia massive team tournament that was eight people, um, and then it just kind of escalated from there. So you're saying that that's all we would need to do before it starts trickling down into multiple team tournaments. I don't think that's a bad idea. That that's a good that's definitely a good thought. But I just wanted to clear to be clear there. Just I mean, for me, I. Again, I'd love to see a massive regional eight-person team tournament. Um, you know, it'd be awesome to see different states and different provinces and stuff going at it. Um, I think in general, like if you look at 40K, essentially got to a point where there was roughly one big-time event every quarter that kind of got everyone's due. You had you had Nova, you had LVO, you had Adepticon, and then because I am a frontline gaming junkie, uh, BAO was always at the top of my head, and that that was kind of like how the world went around on on major events, and then from there, lot like everything filled into the gaps, right? And and I think that's kind of the thing that that would probably need to happen. You need those beacons, same idea as Scar, really. You know, those beacon events, those big time events that get people interested in team formats, and want to prepare for it, and then that spawns sort of smaller events that become sort of primers, which in their own right eventually become larger over time too. So that's kind of how it snowballs from experience with singles anyway. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going to go is you got to start with introducing people to the concept so it becomes familiar and then move to your bigger events. Do you? So I, I'm curious to hear your guys' opinions on this. Do you think that it would be better to have uh, massive team events run concurrently with our flagship singles events? So think like... Mm the Nova championships would have a Nova team championships and Delvio would have, you know, Delvio team championships, et cetera. Or do you think that separating them and having them be their own team event, um, run at different parts of the year? Do you think that would be better? How, how do you kind of see that progressing? And I've already, I've always kind of felt that like the, uh, the, the post LVO to the, to basically the WTC, that always for me felt like team tournament season, but that's because you know it used to be that I do LVO and then I go to Canhammer, and then ATC would happen, and then WTC would happen, and then Nova would come, and now we're back into the thick of it for singles. So that's always how it felt for me. I don't know about you guys. I could see that. So the summer definitely feels like team tournament summer, right? Because you you have the ATC, you have the WTC, um, you have the Adepticon team tournaments, uh, which to be fair isn't isn't competitive team um, doubles it's, it's the you, well they have the their five on five i think or no it's it's teams. team doubles you you play you pair off you, you do it's two it's two it's four person teams and they're each each team pairs up differently uh, oh, okay each, each round so it's team anyways doubles. um well what I, I guess the thought process is going with that was that um people people who go to the adepticon team tournament i've seen them go to atc with the same team yeah even sure. like fun teams right yeah. um so uh, I, I feel like it starts or a good start would be either Adepticon or that lull between the LVO and Adepticon. That weird like post, you know, February lull where there's not really a lot of events going on. I, I feel like that would be a great start and then end obviously with sometime late in the summer with the WTC. I think that's a really great season for timing. Um, but uh, I don't know. It could be a year long thing, too. That's also really cool. It just depends on what becomes the crown jewel, right? Like, um, yep. obviously, Frontline Gaming is going to have an amazing event in September. 
um, but the one with the history and the and the you know rabid fan base and people who like plan their year around it is the ATC. Also seems like so much fun. It's the one I still haven't gotten to that I'm, I'm I I want to go to the most. Um, so you know it just it kind of just sort of depends on how it how how the community um, calibrates it because I don't think the player pool is deep enough to run concurrent singles and teams and you're gonna have people who want to play teams but are stuck in singles and stuff like that yeah i don't i i mean maybe maybe in the near future like i could see some of the super majors doing something similar to that uh obviously the wtc has a singles event um Mm -hmm. so they have the capabilities to really ramp that up and get more people to come out to the play in their singles event um uh, i i don't see I, i i see that as the natural next evolution to the wtc to growing it WTC like that that singles event though is is before the the actual team event and yes. if you do both you're there for five days so it's like yes it, it, it is a lot it is a it is a it is a good time um but like so like that would be kind of what you'd have to do and you can't expect people to do that more than maybe once or twice a year right yeah although if it, if it became like a big deal. You definitely, I think you definitely get people to come out there, and also we're we're hoping on uh, GW putting out a Netflix show or something that gets um, millions and millions more people to play 40k, uh, and then that that hopefully piggyback off Magic a little and all that. So basically, you need to grow the community more to do stuff like that, uh, anyways. But I think I'm still mentally you... prepping for like being yeah. by the water cooler cooler and hearing something like, "Hey, did you watch Eisenhorn last night?" And like just being <laughs> like, "Oh my god, oh man." <laughs> Oh my god! That, I gotta, I gotta go. <laughs> <I can't. laughs> um, all right. Uh, is there any final thoughts on this topic before we kind of wrap it up and move on to the patron questions? I just want to say, if you are nervous about going to a team event and you uh, think you might not have enough experience to go to a team event, try it out. Even if you don't have the most experience, like uh, going to a team event is one of the best ways to get experience even if you're not like super super experienced with competitive gaming because if your team is good and they put you in like matchups that are easier for you for example or you can go and just be the person who is designed to just soak up the worst matchup for the whole team and lose every game like i've done on some teams before like even that could be your role and you could still fit in and still have a great time of playing with your friends yeah if you're looking for that uh highest level of player skill and testing yourself a team tournament can be the place or if you're just looking to be that guy who always hard counters his opponent you can do that too but uh or if don't be afraid oh, God, to Brandon. sign up with a, a group of people you don't know very well because you're gonna have a good yeah. time probably yep. yeah it, go ahead Val. oh i was just fully agreeing with 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 uh my fellow co-host there um and i would throw this out to tos if you're sitting on a 40 person tournament and uh, you know it's it's been growing, and and you know you're sort of reaching that scale, and you got all the terrain and stuff. Maybe consider a format switch. Maybe think, or at least you know throw the idea out there. Be like, hey, uh, people who normally come to my tournament, would you be interested in it if we if we tried a team event, and uh, and see how it goes? Because that's how you get. That's how we'll get, you know, certainly a lot more interest in the format because this is the Nick Nanavati's favorite way to play 40k. He believes it is the future of 40k. Uh, at least I've heard him say that drunkenly. So <laughs> that's got to mean something, right, guys? Yeah, um, it, it kind of does. Yeah, it kind of <laughs> means something. Yeah, it, actually, yes. Um, <laughs> but but all joking aside, uh, yeah, I know there's a lot of you who uh, who um, have concerns, and they're very valid. So uh, we're gonna get to the patron questions now. And if you're one of those people who 
you don't know if you can put together a five-person team together or you don't know you don't see the viability of this or um you see it's kind of like the logistics overweigh the the ability to run the events um definitely listen to these patron questions the patrons these questions i think did a really good job of kind of showing what uh the general idea of uh the general questions that people had about team tournaments um about running them i think that uh they will probably answer a lot of your questions too when we answer those questions so if you'd like to sign up for our patreon support the podcast head over to patreon.com slash chapter tactics you get to ask us questions that we answer live on the air every week just get into that facebook group you could also talk to us you could say hi ask scary some dark eldar questions Uh, if you're lucky tag val in something and maybe you'll get a rare val sighting who knows rare val in the wild (laughs) but on to the patron questions and the first one is actually not relating to this topic at all However, it's the next one chronologically. It was actually asked last week after the episode aired. And it's a really good question. So I'm giving this patron two questions to double dip because it's a really good question. First, the question is, because of hobby lag and unavailability of models, is it wise to play the 40k stock market and buy slash invest in models that have the potential to be good in the future rather than models that are good now that might get nerfed or balanced before you finish them? Um, also, we should form a 40k bets Facebook group. Um, <laughs> that's... That's obviously uh, a joke, but um, this is a really good question because it's actually what I do professionally, right? So I have a really fun story about drop pods. Uh, (laughs) Drop pods went from zero to hero so fast back to a safe, solid, low-risk investment. So drop pods were easily 35 bucks a model in 7th edition this was battle company thick of battle company when they were free and every space brain player was required to have at least five yeah every five uh, they were marines you had a drop on all yeah, yeah they were all the rage we had a hard time getting them gw kept printing them out uh they kept going out of stock and out of um via gw and the drop pod the model is iconic by itself it's it's a very compelling transport deep strikes down you've got badass superhumans coming out of it Super and cool. obviously it, you know it's it's a staple of the largest most popular faction in 40k space marines so drop pods were all the rage i never had an issue selling them then eighth edition hit and raised the price of them completely nerfed them to the ground and uh, gw as much as they'll swear to everyone that rules don't sell models uh Drop pods weren't selling at all. I couldn't sell them for less than 20 bucks a model, where they were selling for $35 a model. And this is used, by the way. This is like used Space Wolves, eBay Pro painted, doors glued together shut, 35 bucks a model drop pod. They were selling for that. I couldn't sell brand new assembled ones, beautifully magnetized uh, for $17 a model. That's what I think. Yeah, the market was saturated because all these people were just offloading their drop pods. And you see this regularly with other things, right? The reason why I'm using drop pods is because there was a guy at the LVO who had a literal box of drop pods that we had. There were, I think, 22 drop pods in that box. And I had them written down to $15 per. I just Did you suffer a lot of trauma at the hands of drop pods? You've said drop pod probably 100 times in the last... What are we talking about again? Based on the drop pod fiasco, which is sounding like a tulip crisis, what would you recommend Uh, for people trying to play the 40k stock market? Yes, that was the question. So the reason why we brought the story up was because he bought the drop pod and then 8th edition dropped, or the the 
up the FAQ update to drop pods with the points changes, and they got their drop pod assault rule back. Essentially, drop pods started selling at the normal price again, and then GW upped their prices. So essentially, he doubled his investment in drop pods. He bought them for I think a little under fifteen dollars a model. So um, I don't think it's wise to play the forty k stock market. However, it's very possible, and it's something that you should I think be aware of if you're going to start buying secondhand. So that's the whole point of that this that story. Is, uh, this is actually uh, uh, 40k Quickie Mart Butterfly uh, Rob Symes over on the Honest Wargamer. This is actually one of my favorite bits of his that he's come up with recently, uh, which is 40k stonks. And uh, he asks this question of his guests just about every show now. Um, so uh, it's a tremendous bit, and I don't know. <sighs> how much value there is to it. I guess as a second handyman, uh, you, you know, you gave us about all the insight you can. I think in general, if you're, like you're, if you're moving a collection of models, say it's painted or maybe it's a half-written, half-done job lot or whatever, I don't feel like fashion really has that much of an impact unless it's no. like a really brutally long-time suffering army like Necrons for years were just given away. Tyranids are still just given away. You know, like... I feel like there's, with some exceptions in general, armies kind of have a consistent value. Am I wrong, Pablo? So it depends how you get acquire the army. Uh, the absolute worst return on investment is getting your army paint commission painted. Uh, so buying it new, MSRP, and then getting the artist to assemble and paint that army for you. You could you could pay you it could be the most beautifully you know painted golden demon winning army ever and you're never going to get a return on investment you're never going to get what you paid that artist to do right That's it's like... not like art so so <laughs> for, it's it's not it, it's very rare so the, i i can count the number of times it i've seen friends of mine successfully sell their armies for as much as they paid for them that would be yeah. my number one concern is especially if you're buying new models it's very difficult to to sell them for what you paid for them. Yes, um, but yeah, you can always get money out of like for me, like I'm a guy who does do commission painted, and I do. There was a period of time where I was a uh, a stonk market raider, and I would uh, full disclosure rip people off who were selling painted armies because to me they're so valuable because it's hundreds of hours of work uh, that if you pay for is really really expensive. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've always seen a lot of value in painted models, and my thing is, like, if you're selling painted models, don't sell them to Pablo or on Facebook. Get yourself an eBay account, and I think you can get good value on them. Maybe, maybe not all the money you it got out of them. Maybe not, maybe not all the money you put into it, but I think you can, you can definitely get above retail, and you, you also got to enjoy that beautiful army for a while. I don't know, man. Yes, it depends. So even if you get like, even if you double. Um, even if you sell like a Mortarian for double at what it goes for MSRP, you're still not going to, which is actually True. a really good Mortarian. That's like a, that's if you sell your Mortarian for double <clears throat> MSRP on eBay right now, you're in the top 1% of more selling Mortarians right now. Even then you're not getting a return on your investment with your Mortarian. If you bought it paint commission. Now, if you buy, if you're like Val and you buy painted armies from other people at near MSRP value, you're definitely going to get your money's worth. And which brings me to what I was going to say about the 40k stock market, if you buy new or paint commissioned, don't expect a return on investment. However, if you buy secondhand, 
you can absolutely make money there. I've started my 40k career with $400. I mm-hmm. bought shitty ultramarines and found out very quickly if you buy blue marine space marines on eBay <laughs> and title them ultramarine, they sell better. They yep. sell faster because ultramarines are very popular. They always have been. Uh there are certain buzzwords that that will get models to sell more. So, if you buy secondhand, you absolutely can uh sell models and then kind of you can even do it through the secondhand shop um we're having a sale right now go buy stuff from there but you can actually do it with the secondhand shop you can send in for store credit use the store credit to buy new models and then if you buy the right stuff you can resell it at kind of what you got store credit for it meaning that you could perpetually fund your tournament medal lists and i was able to do that for the first few years of my 40k career before i started you know i joined on frontline and stuff absolutely it, it's absolutely doable, but buying new is in general just not worth it at all. So yeah. don't don't buy new if you want return on investment, but absolutely buy secondhand. Yeah, there you have buy it. And sell secondhand. If you are going to have one piece of advice for playing the 40k stonk market, it's buy used models. Yes. Yes. 100%. Also, and the first don't, and there is room to speculate. Yes. And don't <clears throat> oh, be yeah. afraid to be patient, right? Like, I know people who've been waiting to buy specific models secondhand or whatever, and it takes them a little bit, but eventually they sort of find it within, like, a price range they're looking for. Everything right? comes like, up eventually. Yeah. yeah, like, you don't, yeah. don't just, you don't have to, like, jump on it as soon as you see it, you know, if you're looking to, like, save a buck, I guess, even oh. if it's a model that might, like, eventually become very popular. And if you want to talk about stonk market, here's what I would say is the new hotness, if you're like, holy cow, I got a bonus for the new hotness, just wait four, five, six months. Please. Because you will get lot after lot after lot of maybe half-built gray plastic, admec, or whatever it is coming up, and you will get it at a fraction of what it would cost you by retail. Yeah. Generally, when we buy stuff, there's three things that I avoid. That's uh, the secondary faction in the edition starter set. So that is the Dark Vengeance, Dark Angels, the Dark Imperium, Death Guard, and Space Marines now, uh, and then Dominus Necrons. You you want to stay away from those. Those always get saturated in the market and never hold their value at all. So like Necron Unless Warrior you want prices those things because you can get them for cheap because they're because everyone bought an Indominus box and yeah. no one bought it for the Necrons. So Scarabs are selling for for pennies on the dollar even though they're the most popular. Like basically every Necron player already has the amount of Scarabs that they need, and now it's just like there's billions and billions of Scarabs on eBay. <laughs> people, it's it's hilarious. So stay away from that. Stay away from Kill Team or limited. Uh, or, non 40k box game miniatures that have 40k rules so the perfect example is chronomancers please don't buy your chronomancer for 60 dollars a model online that's literally half the box when you buy it 15 percent off please stop buying chronomancers i know that neck i know that chronomancer player chronomancers are the shit i know that we ha- the model still doesn't exist yet but please it's just driving the price up on chronomancers when i know gw is going to sell them for pennies on or cheaper than that later Almost on half in the, the box. price just, later on just convert your technomancer your space marine player isn't going to know the difference and move on like number one rule I, is does it look sort of like what it's supposed to and it's made out of gw bits mm-hmm. okay yes yep <laughs> and then the final thing i avoid is uh imperial fist space marines because no one buys imperial fists everyone <laughs> the shade of yellow and it's just can get bad yeah uh, it I just really want to leave off on a PSA 
uh, which is, I think Pablo's right. You're not going to get your money out of a commission. But that being said, a lot of you people out there are really, really good at painting models. And you don't realize that you've actually, if you paid yourself minimum wage, it'd be worth a lot more than retail to sell those things. Please do not post them to front Facebook groups where you will get shamed for not putting them there at 50 cents on the dollar. Please put them on eBay where there's an actual market where people who don't have time to paint or just want painted minis will actually give you a reasonable price for them. Yep. Because you've put so much work into it. Um, just just put a little bit of effort in. Don't give them away for nothing to guys like me. You've done <laughs> such beautiful work. Don't discount your work. Just get some money back for them. Thank yeah, you. That was one I'm, hell of I'm a question. Finger. Absolutely. Ooh. Yeah, it's a, I yeah, really wanted question. to talk about it. It would definitely be a, it's definitely it's a, a future episode. episode for it's a sure. whole episode. Oh, yeah, 100%. All right, now let's get on to the team tournament questions. Same, same patron, different question. If someone wants to play in team tournaments but doesn't have a team, how can I convince my friends to form a team with me? Preferably methods that don't rely on rope or bribery. <laughs> hey, guys, you want to have a lot of fun? I don't know. <laughs> uh, so the, in my experience, what I've seen with my friends is you one or two of the guys really gets the passion and urge to run the team tournament and then literally just like rent the Airbnb, pay for some tickets. Like if you make it as simple as possible for the other three guys. And then once you, once you like kind of show them the light, like, Hey, we can do this. Like um, from there uh, you, all you do is start talking to them about, what factions to run like oh dude hey do you still have that custodes army oh, like definitely we really need a custodes player and then you start you know you start talking to them about their favorite their factions and then they're like oh man i don't know ultramarines aren't very good and you're like whoa wait a minute we just need a gilliman and they're like "Ooh, gilliman like i haven't ran him since seventh edition like let's let's bring it on or eighth edition no, they'll oh, say something God. like i never get to win events with my orcs i miss being right. top tables with them and you're like i have good news for you there is a role yep. for orcs in this team tournament. Let's discuss it. Yep. I can't agree more. Uh, being the being the change you want to see in the world is the exact way how to form a team. And also, you get you get those five friends to go to the event once. It's what you will be looking forward to doing for the next for year. Ever. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's GG. Um, all right. Uh, next one. Um, this one, I actually think uh, Scary should answer. Scary, you're the most. Uh... No, you and Brandon. Anyways, uh, basically, uh, I think this would be a really good question for you to answer. Um, this is a patron who I I believe is a just a little slightly salty about team tournaments. That's a uh, uh, team tournaments, which are very rare in Australia, seem custom designed to exclude newcomers and fifth wheels from the fun. Having been a ringer and just... Okay, okay, cool. How do you mitigate this? Do you accept team tournaments or for tight groups of friends and everyone else's fun isn't important? Or um, basically, Man, it was a little bit of a... Which team are you playing with, questioner? Yeah, because so exactly. I, I'll give you an example. And, and to add a little context... I was um, to add just a, I was the ringer and at that tournament, tournament when I went to the ATC. I was the, the outside man. I had a great same time here. because the teammates I had were wonderful. Yeah, same yeah, here. And, and to to just to to add a little bit of context to this, I believe this patron is specifically talking about how hard it is to get uh, a team together for team tournaments, and also how they all do act as a bit of a uh, not a gatekeeper, but like as a yeah, get clicky, yeah, clicky, you can get yeah. clicks for it, sure, it, and it 100%. can absolutely can. Um, so how so how do you get past that stigma about team tournaments? Um, from a community perspective. Well, have a, you have to have a conversation first and foremost, you know, like um, 
you know, and communicating like what it is that the expectations are um, for the event or by the event or by the event organizers or by the teams or by your friends or by the people who you end up playing with. You know, there has to be dialogue. I feel like a lot of these situations tend to be, you know, solved by dialogue. If you're a ringer and they throw you into a team last minute or you really want to go to a team and then they had like a team has somebody drop and they're like, hey, you can come play with us or whatever. Like you you being honest with the team, being like, hey, what is your expectations? Like sucks that your teammate didn't show up. I'm going to do my best, you know, like that just and then and then give me a break sort of thing right and instead of just like letting it i don't know i find that a lot of the times things like that are just fester behind like underneath the surface when they don't get like just talked about you know like hash it out like just just talk about it i would uh oh no absolutely go ahead um I, i would just say too that if you are a person who has like an established team and like you gotta so i make a lot of jokes about uh, Cash Money Hammer uh, excluding me. What actually happened was that there were more people who wanted to play <laughs> than there was room on Cash Money Hammer. And I was attempting to put two teams together, like an A and a B team, and I accidentally got myself off of the A team. Um, <laughs> I ended up on the B team. I just, I just, I just for the, just for the record here, his team, uh, Cash Money Hammer, I think came in third, yes, and Val went better. around flipping fucking, pardon, sorry, flipping <laughs> like tables and chairs over, being like, ah. That- <laughs> yes, yes. So I got, I got left so behind. Funny. But that's fine. That's fine. I um, love you, Val. Love you, I love, buddy. Val I love was you amazing. Too. I love you too. You, uh, but uh, what I'm trying to say is, if you know, you do see people who are on the outs and they're like genuinely want to play, and like maybe the TO isn't playing matchmaker. You know, be a leader. Like try and find ways for people to participate. Like be a community build- builder. Reach out to folks. Ask other teams. Like anyone need a player. If if someone's posted on a on a message board and there's you know no one's replying or whatever like mix it up for them reach out to them you know like just try and be inclusive like I don't know well, I don't know how much more complicated it needs to be than that yeah, and um, you should be aware of the people you like to hang out with and if you get invited to be the ringer for a team that you have nothing in common with it's okay to turn them down or you know if you wind up with a group of dicks. Like that's that group of dicks. Like it doesn't mean all people suck. Oh, good trust me, the group <laughs> of know? dicks probably has a great time together, and I'm glad it works for them. But you don't have to be part of it. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, the other thing too, also, is I feel like a lot of these kind of specific grievances with team tournaments are going to go by the wayside the more normalized they are, right? Yeah. So if you have a an established team tournament like the ATC. Going to the ATC and finding a team actually is maybe not physically showing up at the ATC the day of. That probably will be very hard for you to get a team. But if you're going to the ATC, I imagine it'll be it'd be relatively easy to find a spot on a team. If you just go into like Facebook groups and you you know PM some coaches or some TOs, the TOs or whatever, just because the ATC is going to have a lot of people show up, and you're going to have people who are like they have drops or they have, you know, um, members try to make an A and a B team and let themselves out. You're going to have vowels looking for Merc teams or whatever, right? This is going to happen. But if you, if you, uh, go to a team event where it's less established, like I can say for a fact that if, um, 
if one person had dropped out of any of the teams to the last team tournament I went to, it was so small that we probably just wouldn't have been able to have a good tournament. Like it would have, it was like, I think it was like six teams tops, right? So all of a sudden it would have been dropped down to five teams and we would have just been like, eh, you know, one team is basically screwed, right? So obviously the more normalized there are, the more infrastructure, social infrastructure there is, the less likely you are to experience the, those kind of problems, right? And that, that's my theory. I'm not, I'm not saying that's for sure that's going to happen, but logically that makes sense to me. Uh, next question comes from uh, ooh, patron Danny, Danny McDevitt of Mob Rules. Uh, what factors contribute to team events being less popular right now? Is it the extra effort in your organization or the extra players you have to come up with to make sure you've got like eight plus teams? It's a really good question. I'd say it's closer to the organization side. So at least if you're showing up all by yourself, that's totally fine. But I don't know. There's a lot of extra complexity if you want a group of five or eight people to all show up to the same place at the same time. And there is a failure rate in large groups. Like, Pablo, you probably know. What percent of people drop LVO day one? Oh, I can't say that, but I definitely know that number. It's at least 10% on average for large events that just for one reason or another, they bought tickets, but they didn't show up. And... um yeah, so you're going to have to overcome some more organizational difficulties and probably have some A players and B players lined up where it's like, okay, if someone from the A list gets sick, you're up. Um, otherwise, you're going to show up sometimes with seven people and team up with someone who also got lost at the day of and figure it out from there. So yeah, there is organizational difficulty. At least that would be my opinion on why there's the extra difficulty. Otherwise, do you guys feel the the social side is the more difficult part where people just aren't as interested in the event because of the previous question? Yeah, I I I think that the biggest factor or maybe one of the biggest factors is that team events aren't normalized. So I feel like if the community had decided back in 6th edition or when the ITC came out that team tournaments were going to be the way we enjoyed 40k as a whole and single events would go by the wayside we would have the this similar topic except about singles events right so i i feel like truly that team events are that easy to run we just need to invest in that as a as a community right so i feel like it's just they're just not normalized and that's the only reason we're not having more team events now i don't think that team events translate that well into the RTT level, especially with five-man teams. So maybe three-man teams are better, or maybe um, maybe I'm I don't I'm not as familiar with that. It does feel like a twenty-five-person RTT is just better as a singles event than a team event to me personally. Um, but I could be wrong. I that might have something to do with it. But I think the 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 biggest reason for me is that they're just not normalized outside of Europe. Valenskari. I think I think you I think I I would agree with you. I think I don't need to like add more to that. Yeah. All right. Uh final question. Patron Tim wants to know what variations on team tournaments have the hosts enjoyed the most? Uh narrative campaigns, 3v3, 5v5 or any other format, and which team tournament format do you think would be best for bringing in newbies or people who don't have a team? Yeah, we didn't even mention casual roleplay style events. But if you're a newer player and that's sort of what you're into, I could see that being a great way to get in as a narrative event. I mean, you can mm-hmm. see Games Workshop and the success of the Crusade system for getting people to experiment with new armies. I haven't tried narrative, 
but I guess if you were someone who wanted to roleplay your army and named all your captains in your Space Marine army and had this glorious backstory for your custom Space Marine army, maybe a narrative campaign would make more sense for a team event. Yeah, not only that, but there are different type, there are different formats, right? Like, um, I think one of the funnest ways that you can kind of play at a team style event is in the Adepticon style team event, where it's like uh, four separate like thousand point lists that all sort of split a couple of force organization slots, and then you team up with like each of the members on your team once throughout a four team four round event or something like that where you basically team up with one person to play like a doubles on doubles but you're part of a four person team i think that's that, that's also a very entertaining but way of playing like a team event i guess we're focused on the more competitive events because that's what we're familiar with and have the most fun with and like i said even if you're losing 0 and 5 at a team event that's competitive your team could still be doing very well because of how little you're losing by or because you got the one matchup that saved the rest of the team's matchups. So that element of, ooh, this is a challenge I would never normally face. I wonder how well I can do. And it really doesn't matter as much if you as an individual win or lose. That can be really interesting, or at least I would find that more interesting. Yeah, um, I, I agree with that. Uh, I think to answer the question on the the formats or any other formats i think the format that i most enjoyed was the probably the 3v3 format i feel like it gets a lot of flack from the team uh the people who play in team tournaments and i could see that right uh we did allude it we did talk about earlier in the podcast when we talked about how going less than five is is not necessarily ideal um but it might be a good stepping stone to get people to play in team events right like a 3v3 could be the gateway the gateway format to get people into 5v5s and you know, eight V eights or whatever. Um, so, you know, that's, that's some food for thought. Yeah. Yep. All right. That is it. We are at 90 minutes on the dot. Uh, so we're ending it just a little later than normal. That is totally okay. Thank you everyone for listening so much. And if you're interested in hearing more from our co-hosts, Skari, where can they find you? Well, I'm Skari. Of course, you can find me on YouTube. Uh, looking forward to the Drukari Codex release. Oh, yeah. Or you can find me on Patreon or Twitch. We actually did a seven-hour-long marathon stream celebrating women in wargaming today. The Tanya, the uh, war mistress, and myself streamed for eight, seven hours and had eight really awesome women wargamer um, guests on the Twitch stream today. So it's the kind of stuff that we do. If you want to check it out, yeah, I'm there. I'm, uh, and we uh, have lots of fun with it. So thanks, Pablo. Appreciate it. No problem. By the way, I just want to say, Scary not only did that marathon stream, but after that came on the podcast and recorded for another 90 minutes. And before so, that, I did an hour-long Patreon video, which is the My Meta Monday. Yeah, the just Meta saying. Monday. <laughs> so if, if any one deserves a patreon subscription today it's scary so head on over to scardcast that's s-k-a-r-e-d cast on youtube and also like and subscribe him if you don't have any money no big deal but just should him like subscribe to his channel or that if you don't want lot. to just go support another content creator you know share the love yeah you know, honestly you just know, go find another content creator and share the hobby love we're a very tightly knit community the least true. we can do is like just share that love and make someone's day by commenting on their video or subscribing to their little fledgling channel or whatever it is. Like we're, we're an awesome community. So we can, we can make that happen. All right. Speaking of awesome communities, Brandon, I actually talked about your 
your Astro Militarum Facebook group with a friend the other day. We were talking about Guard. And so how's that going? Um, the group's actually doing pretty well right now and figuring out that 15 points per model for Death Corps of Krieg Riders is ridiculously overpowered. So uh, we're all busy converting any horse model we can find into Krieg Riders <laughs> um, and figuring out other strategies. So yeah, that's going reasonably well. But actually, I wanted to mention that I've been invited to go on Scary's show and I'll be there live mm-hmm. on the It'll 19th. Be fun. So please join us if you're interested in whatever conversation we happen to stumble into that day right on that's awesome and then finally val i believe is on baby duty val you have a few seconds to respond no he is not there val would like to let us know that let you all the listeners know that you can find him eventually when tournaments come back on on 40kstats.com you can also find him on the honest wargamer stream the 40k adjacent show every tuesday uh, morning, it's early, early Tuesday morning Pacific Standard Time, like, I think like 3 a.m. You can find him on the 40K Jason show uh, on Tuesdays. And then also head on over to Frontline Gaming Network, your one stop shop for all 40K competitive content and so much more. Thank you all for listening. You are all the best listeners in the world. And as always, have a good one.